Howdy, Graham. Well, howdy there. <laughs> How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was delightful. What about you? It was good, but uh, I got a joke for you. Okay. Uh, did you hear the one about the cowboy who rode into town wearing a paper suit and a paper hat? <laughs> no. What, what about him? <laughs> well, let me tell you, he wasn't in town five minutes before he was arrested for rustling. <laughs> oh, no. For rustling. Yep. Is it good? Is it, or is it horrible? No, you're going to have to tell me. Good or horrible? Good or horrible? Let's have the people vote. Wait, they can't vote. They're not, I can't, I won't be able to hear them. Splitting the difference, it's a five. <laughs> right in the middle. Like, I'll take it. I feel like that's, a, that's right. So, David, uh, recently I was, at, uh, I was at a restaurant. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, uh, a weasel came in. <laughs> talking weasel. Um, talking weasel. And everybody came... was okay with it. Okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so yeah, he came yeah, in, he sat yeah. down. And he ordered, um, he ordered a drink. Or no, the waiter said, well, you know, what do you want to drink? Yeah, yeah. Pop goes the weasel. Oh, <laughs> uh, six. How about 600? <laughs> well, Thousand. I don't know. Is it the best joke we've ever told on this show? 600,000. It might be. Shout out to all of the audience members at the SD Smith event that we had here recently that voted that joke uh, the winner of the, the three jokes that you out presented. Of the so. Three terrible jokes. That was the least <laughs> atrocious. Uh, well, you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes, and featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show. It's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And ho, 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 I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't think I'd... Uh... make me uh, an, an elf? elf? I don't know. Are you, are you in my employ? No, and I, I, I bet am not. I bet you're thinking... Um, Santa doesn't look or sound like you thought. Uh, well, I don't know. I, you do look kind of like. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> Got some white in my beard, and I'm not Santa. Yeah, who are you again? My name's Graham. Oh, that's right. Yes, you're Graham Pittman. We uh, together we make up the the duo that does uh, the Withy Window podcast, which you know because you're listening to this, and presumably you've been listening to it for a while because this is the final episode of season four. Four dot ten. Four. Right? The 10, the, yeah, 4.10, yeah. 4.10. 4.10. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah, yeah. This has been a great season. And we have a great episode today. Yes. We have an interview with Andrew Peterson and Chris Wall. Now, together, they're part of the team behind the new TV series. Captain Planet. The Wing Feather Saga. Oh, that's better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree that that's better. So we talked to them about how they made this show and the choices that they made in adapting Andrew's books for TV and all the different things that go into making a TV show. So we're going to talk to them in a little bit. Yeah. Of course, before that, Graham, it's Withy Windle. So we've got some, some other stuff. We're going to do this time. We're going to do some snacks and a story. Uh, there's no riddle this time. Yeah. Cause it's the last episode the last of the episode, season. And then, uh, and then we're going to you know, say goodbye till 2020. Are we going to do the laziest part of the episode? I don't know. I'll, just, I'll check. We'll see. See how. We'll see. see how. See how. Uh, what if the la- you're feeling? What if it would be like a meta uh, segment where it's we're so lazy we don't even do it and it becomes uh, the laziest. Yeah, maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I don't know. You'll see. Yeah, we'll find out. Okay, but first, Graham. Joke time. No, we so, are, we already did that. There was this weasel. There's a weasel, yeah. Did you hear about the one about the the cowboy who was? Never mind. Okay, so. Uh, should we do some snacks? Should we talk about some snacks? 
Snack time. Snack time. Okay. We have, you have something and I've got something. Who do you shoot? Right. Who, so do? my, um, I'll go first. My, okay. um, my brother and my sister-in-law came into town. Um, they live in the Midwest, but, um, so, so they get that pop joke, <laughs> but they, that's right. But they originally are from Canada as we are. And they brought us, well, they brought us some Midwestern snacks, some Canadian snacks and, um, some with you window themed snacks. Oh, okay. So I'll do so that with you bag here. Yeah, it's um okay. Well, I just got to tell you, the bag was heavier a week ago when they brought it, and it's much lighter now. <laughs> well, you left something though. It looks like um oh not those um that is a Christmas theme. Okay, is so a Santa Claus um, Ziploc bag. These are the uh, with you window themed one. It is garlic sesame sticks. Oh, because they're wondering if we certified sticks. if they're certified or not. Can certified sticks certified food sticks? I'm going to certify them as delicious. I know that. I don't actually know what they are. What is a sesame stick? Is it just like... Well, I believe it's enriched white flour. Okay. You lost me. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, in the Midwest... These we, are good. In the I'm town, actually surprised at how good these are. Yeah, you can have the rest of them. There's only like four left. <laughs> They're but. great. You can have them. Uh, these are from our town that we both lived in of Dubuque, Iowa. Yep. Um, they're like a turtle. You remember? Not that, not the animal, but the chocolate no, we don't thing. Need, they don't eat turtles in the view. They're from Betty Jane Candies. There's oh. one left. No, there's two, three. <laughs> oh, well, wow. Two, two I, in a I portion. didn't mean to leave that many. Uh, they are delicious. Oh, man. Any small kind of boutique chocolate, chocolatier or candy shop, you're not going to go wrong. Gremlin Snackers is what these are called. Yeah, I wonder if kids... Um, Named one of the best chocolate shops in America. By who? By themselves? <laughs> by the Withy Window Podcast. Well, I don't disagree. Um, and then uh, there's also a place in Dubuque called uh, Freddy's Popcorn. And we have Mississippi Mix, which is cheddar popcorn mixed with caramel corn. Okay, now, do you like this? Yeah. You do? I'm surprised. I love cheddar popcorn. I'm surprised. Well, think of Cheetos. Like, it's a cheese-flavored thing. Cheese isn't my favorite yeah. thing. Um, just like slices of cheese and string cheese. I, not my favorite. But flavored... Well, what else? What it, you get cheese Cheetos, on a cracker? Slices of cheese or string cheese. You know, it could have been like a, 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 a delightful French cheese that has been aged in that cave for 10 years. Instead, he goes, I don't know, string cheese. I bet that cave is smelly. Um, okay, so. and then they brought us some Canadian. Really good. They brought us some Canadian chocolate bars. It says bonus Canada candy, and so we have an Aero bar, and uh, I brought a coffee crisp. So pick your poison. I mean your delight. Hmm. I love the coffee crisp, but they gave me one of those. Oh, so you're, you're doing the Aero bar? Okay. Yeah. So thank you to um, uh, Aunt Beth and Uncle Neil <laughs> and uh, my nephews. Uh, Liam and Ian. Who I hired at the shop and then immediately fired. Well, they, to be fair, they didn't do a very good job. Also, <laughs> they did to be, nothing. Also, to be fair, no training. <laughs> there, was a, well, there was a lack of training going you know on. They were very insistent about being hired. Um, <laughs> and they, they acted like they, they could solve the problem. Oh, wait. If you fired them, do they get a severance? Like, they, you're saying they didn't quit on, on record that you fired them? Yeah, they can have a severance. It can be exactly what, I, what they were hired to be paid. How about next time they come, they get a book? How about next time they come, they do some work, and then we'll talk? <laughs> <laughs> How about next time they come, they can get a book from the basement after they clean the basement? Yeah, anyway, we'll, yeah, we'll figure perfect. it out. Okay, Graham, I brought something, too, though. And okay. it's Christmas time. Mm -hmm. It's early December. Today, we're recording on December 1st. 
Uh, so it is in a, December first. Couple yeah. days, this episode is going to go up. And I know that because I'm Santa. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> by the way, this episode is going up on the birthday of my son Jeremiah. The so fifth. happy tenth birthday to Jeremiah. Also, our dogs. My dogs are in the workshop here with in, in like my studio, and one of them is just staring at all the food, and the puppy is whining. Yep. But okay, here's what I'm here's what I'm curious about, Graham. Okay, I got three. Very popular candies. Yeah. But I got their Christmas edition. Okay. And I want to rank these. I want to find out which one we think is the best. I love this. So up first. That's r- I love ranking everything. Okay. So up first, me too. We have Andy's Mints, but they are like a Christmas version that has Andy's Mints with a crunch. Oh, so they're actually different. Not yeah. just the packaging. No, right. They're actually different. Okay. I don't know how different they are. Do you think it's maybe peppermint? Well, I don't think so because they had other peppermint ones. I think Ooh. it's still like... But it has a different, at least a different texture to it. So these are the, the, they have a crunch to them. I don't know. They're pretty much the same. Are we supposed to say our reaction now or save it? You can say what you think of it. Don't rank it yet. Good. Okay. (laughs) Chocolate. Mint. Okay. Now, one of the most popular candies in America is the Hershey's Kiss. Yep. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the Hershey's Kiss. It's just kind of um, middle of the road. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so I got a candy. You know how they have these candy cans that ha- I'm looking at it, candy. Yes. Yeah, I'm right. You can from stocking stuffers. So these are candy cane Hershey's. Oh, kisses. so like white chocolate and peppermint, maybe. Probably they were kind of hard to open. Here, give me that one. You do that okay. one. Okay, and the other one is uh, Rolo, the Rolo uh, holiday ones. And yeah, it's like wow. you have to do a whole. Now there's the Rolos. So we have Andy's mints, the Rolos. We have the peppermint. So let's let's figure out what we think of these. Oh, the, I like these. The Hershey Kisses are white and bright, bright red. Yeah, bright red. Like boysenberries. No, cherries. Yeah, <laughs> boysenberries. boysenberries. Aren't they black? <laughs> They're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Okay. That tastes like... That... That does not taste natural. I'll say that. There's nothing chocolate or there's nothing real well, about that. Wow. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's so good. Dark candy canes. <laughs> okay, so we have Rolo. Now, the thing is about these Rolos, I'm actually not sure, now that I look at it, if they're any different than normal Rolos. So we might just be eating normal Rolos right now. Okay, but the thing about eating, as we all know, is it, it involves all the senses. So, even though they're normal Rolos, I just unwrapped it from a red package. And that's yeah, going to no, change it. Gold. It's going to change the... The whole tenor of the thing. That's right. Okay, so we've got Rolos. Mm-hmm. We have Candy Can Hershey's Kisses. And we have the Andy's Mints with Crunch. And these do, like, these don't look exactly like regular Andy's Mints. I think there's more of the minty, crunchy part to it. So what? what how would you rank these? Okay. Mm. It's difficult. I'm going to just think for a second of which one would I want to eat, like, three more of. Okay. Ah, it might be the Rolo, and there's I, nothing different about it. <laughs> no, I'm going to go maybe with... Maybe that's why they didn't do anything different with it. Perfection. Okay, no, I'm going Andy's Mint, okay. Rolo, and then the plastic Hershey Kiss that is with peppermint oil, dunked in <laughs> peppermint oil. What about you? I think I would do the Rolo, the Rolo first, but I would like okay. to know what they would do with the Rolo for holidays. Oh, that's good. And then I think I would go with these peppermint, ki- um, the candy can kisses. Oh, my word. Just because 
I'm only going to get them this being time of year. Con- you're just being contrary. Well, I'm just, you're only going to get them this time of year, right? You, you ate one-third of yours. Well, I know I've, that's not... That's because I'm trying to be able to put them in order. Oh, I see. And then I've got... So I've eaten one-third of all of them. Which okay. Bite. Um, I also have all the other stuff that came from you and Beth and the boys. Oh, there, yeah. So. True. Um, I But I think the Rolo would be first. What would they do? What would a Christmas Rolo... Like, put um, mashed potatoes in it? Uh, well, maybe sweet potatoes. So, or... Uh, um, uh, Okay, it can't be peppermint. Uh, ham, Everything's peppermint. What else? C- cranberry sauce. Cranberry? <laughs> <laughs> it's cranberry jam. That <laughs> actually could be good. It sounds, that sounds English. Like there'd be yeah. a chocolate, piece of chocolate yeah. with a cranberry jam. All right, you don't know this, but um, I actually brought something you else. Brought something else? This is a Christmas, uh, this is like a season of giving. Oh, right. It giving, is. That's true. That's true. We're, gi- we're giving each other snacks. And I definitely gave, got something to give you on the podcast. <laughs> All right, so I actually brought my favorite Christmas editions Whoa. Of, of things. So here you go. Uh, part of the package fell off. You can see that. <laughs> and then look at this one. Christmas edition frosty old-fashioned root beer. Uh-huh. <laughs> look at <laughs> I don't know what's funny. And is... Christmas, I'm, I'm sorry. So I shouldn't be laughing. Um, it's a Christmas Baby Ruth Christmas edition. So I had the same idea, you know, get Christmas edition. Yep, it definitely. Okay. So it's a Baby Ruth mm-hmm. with a piece of paper on it that says uh, Christmas edition. Yeah. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is from my yellow legal pad that you wrote on it when you walked into the room. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, if you say it's a Christmas edition, it's a Christmas edition. Yeah. The ed- so it, gotta eat it. That, that's right. Um, and what are your thoughts on Baby Ruth? I think it's kind of a funny candy bar. I mean, who's it referencing? Babe Ruth? I or suppose. Or named Ruth. Maybe the inventor was named Charles, and he had a daughter named Ruth. Uh, I'm pro Baby Ruth. I'd never buy them. Yeah. I think that's most people's opinion. Yeah. What, what, I wonder how much of the candy market they corner. 0.01%? You know, the thing about Baby Ruth, it takes a minute to eat it. Like it's you, it gets stuck in your teeth, and you kind of have to work a little to chew it. So you're not gonna like down a bunch of them. It's good. It's though. pretty good. Pretty good. I haven't had one of these in probably like a couple. Of what years, about a Christmas edition one? Probably. Is, you know, it's decades. super festive. Decades. <laughs> I don't think they'd invented it decades. Okay, ago. so yes, these are not Christmas edition things. I just wrote that on there to be festive. Although this root beer does have a man that looks like Santa, even though. Oh, this it's, is deaf. Yeah, it's I mean, this not. Is crazy. I should have just left Frosty this. Frosty root beer is Christmas all year long. Frosty vanilla root beer. I don't know. I'm going to drink this. All right. So, full confession: I do not have a lazy word um, for this final episode. But what if we just talk about what we want for Christmas or something? So, I want to run a lazy word by you because oh. I want to hear what you think. Okay. Should we put the music in? Um. Yeah, Logan, you're Logan. Yeah. yeah, you do. You can put it in or you not. You do you, Logan. Yeah. You do what you normally do, you, Logan. A good so, job. At dinner, to, <laughs> at dinner today with my children, we were talking about lazy words. And we were talking about what makes something a lazy word. Yeah, great conversation. And they threw some out there. And they, you know, they were suggesting that maybe these were lazy words. I like this. Okay. There's three of them. They go together. Okay. You know the place that you go when you need to get your kids out of the house on Thanksgiving? <laughs> the dungeon. <laughs> but the dungeon is closed. Oh, the lair. So it's outside. Okay. And 
when you need to get them out of the house you on get Thanksgiving? Them out of the house on park. Thanksgiving, you go to a park. park. So what? What is what? So a park has a number of features. It could have fields. Mm-hmm. It could have bathrooms. Yes. It could, it could have Fence. trails, fences, dog park, sticks. But what's the, the main thing that you often go to to play on at a park? The playground. A playground. Oh, no. Okay. I've never noticed this so one. Is a playground a lazy word, do we think? A thousand percent. Okay. Now, also, there's two parts of a playground that also might be lazy. At least two parts of a playground. Swing set? Swing set, or at least a swing. Oh, let me think of the next one. Dungeon. The dungeon. The, the, uh, the lair. Playground. You're right. The lair. <laughs> the playground what, lair. the slide? The slide. Oh, my word. So, our slide, yes. swing yes. set, and playground, Man. lazy words. 100%. Okay. Those are all very good. And the great thing is, and or the bad set. thing is, these are all amazing things. <laughs> a playground, despite its name, is an amazing place. And I, a swing is an amazing thing. And a slide is an especially amazing thing. I'm pretty upset that I've never thought of these ones. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some words with your kids. Well, they didn't invent them. Well, they, they discovered something that I wanted to discover. Oh, oh and okay. I'm upset at that. <laughs> okay. So, well, slide especially. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You slide down I'm gonna it. I'm going to up that thing slide. and I'm just going to, I don't know, slide down it. Yeah. Let's call it the slide. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. That's so bad. Okay. Swing is at least, I mean, you're going to get on it and swing. Swing set. A set of swings. But mm. I, it's, it's not... <sighs> It's not as bad as a slide. It's Playground's it's pretty rough. Playground. Yeah, that's rough. Okay, so why don't we have the kids then? Yeah, we're not going to... We'll have to We'll have to just maybe post about it on, on social media or something. But... Yeah, you can... Yeah, send us a, better names for playground swings, swing set and slide. I think as kids might have noticed, like as we've the Lazy Word segment has gone on, we've stopped giving our own opinions because your guys' are so much better. That's right. And we just get so flabbergasted by these words and how There's lazy one. they are for example why couldn't a playground be called a flabbergaster flabbergast yeah that's right <laughs> uh. so if, if kids think they have better they have solutions to you know big world problems like these yes. how could they get in touch and give they're us better answers they're going to email us podcasts at goldberrybooks.com podcast plural podcasts at, Gold at goldberrybooks.com and that's where they would also email us to let us know who they want to see us interview or listen to us interview <laughs> on uh, with the window season five. True. So send us, um, uh, send us those suggestions for those people. If you guys know of folk or fairy tales you want to hear in season five, send us those. If you guys have written stories, yep. send us those because we're going to look through y'all's stories and pick one for next season and read it on the air. People have been asking, uh, people have been sending them in and also asking, what are the rules? And I say, rules schmools. But I wonder, do we actually have rules? Because <laughs> I have been saying rules schmools. In Maybe my less than a thousand words. A thousand words or less. I, okay. There, that's the, that's or the less. official Because we can't go on and on for too long on, on those stories. True, but we show. could edit them. We'd email and be like, this is too long. Can you edit it? That's true. I, it's, Can you divide I, this into 10 points? I'm going to say rules schmools. Rules schmools. Okay. Um, well, well, one rule. Okay, you you have to write it. You yeah, kid right. children don't. You can't don't have your plagiarize it or yeah. write it or copy okay. a Charles Dickens. So story. rule schmools except that one rule. That no, rule is not a schmool because when we <laughs> when we start reading all the stories and we come across that one that's about the curmudgeonly old man that right around Christmas time is visited by a yes. number of spirits who convinces him to not be so curmudgeonly, we're gonna be suspicious. suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. We'll send you to the lair. Well, Graham. Speaking of Christmas, that brings us to the end of this segment. 
and thus to the beginning of another segment. And that next segment is story time. And this week, we have a Christmas story for you. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to eat some more snacks. And we'll be back to share story time with you. Okay, Graham, it's story time here on Withy Wendell. Before we get into the story, though, we need to tell our listeners about a new story. If you've been listening to this show, you've already heard about it because it is a new story from the creator of the million plus selling Green Ember series. It's a brand new story with an old soul. The can't miss first adventure in a thrilling new series. Graham, do you remember what this book is called by S.D. Smith? It is called, wait, the new one? Yeah. Jack Zulu and the Waylanders Key. And it is an enchanting adventure in the tradition of Tolkien and Lewis, but also Spielberg and Lucas. It's a fantastical journey that launches in rural West Virginia in the 80s when a half-Appalachian, half-African kid tries to escape the town that he feels like is defining his small, sad life. He discovers, Graham, a gate hiding a city between 12 realms and finds out where he truly belongs in a surprising and satisfying adventure. Uh, Sam Smith, S.D. Smith, he wrote this with his son, Josiah. So, you know, their whole endeavor there is a family operation, which we think is pretty cool. Uh, I know my kids like it. Did your kids, has Rowan read it yet? Uh, he has about 10 pages left, last I checked, which was today. Okay, and I almost stopped you during that spiel, like during your recap of this. Yes. Because everybody who's listening to this already has this book. I know it for a fact. I know, every, <laughs> I've seen everybody well, reading this book. Anybody? Okay, but hear me out. In back pockets, in satchels. Okay, let's say you have it in your satchel in your or your back uh-huh. pocket. That doesn't mean that your cousin does. And you know what's coming up? Christmas. Christmas. So they could head over to jackzulu.com mm. and they could get a copy for each of their cousins, say. There you go. Or for their friend yep. or for the classmate who they have to do a Christmas swap with. I mean, I can think of a lot of reasons why someone might want to go to jackzulu.com and pick up a copy. Especially if they like it as much as uh, our kids do. Yeah. We had a great time doing the launch event with, with SD Smith. Yeah, we and got Josiah to hear him read what, almost a chapter, it seemed like, of, of it. It was really good. The whole audience was like enraptured. Yeah, yeah. He's a funny guy and a fun guy. And if you haven't picked up this book already, then please do. It's great. And uh, if you have already, then, I mean, come on. It's a great Christmas gift. So, jackzulu.com. They also have a newsletter there where you can keep up with everything that's going on in their world, including uh, a newsletter that you will want, want to be signed up for for future books like Jack Zulu. Two. Yeah, so I actually, I actually listened. I jumped on Instagram today, and um, Sam was doing a Facebook Live with somebody. And I listened for about five minutes uh, between little jobs I was doing. And he dropped this thing. He said, this uh, Jack Zulu could, could be a trilogy. It could be up to 12 books, he said. And I'm not saying, I'm just, just, just. That sounds like I'm a lot of work. I'm just repeating what I heard from the author. So, you know, I, you said publicly. 12, I heard you say 1,200. Is that? 1,200 million <laughs> books. Well, yeah, go check them out. Again, it's jackzulu.com. J-A-C-K-Z-U-L-U.com. And did I hear you right before he's, uh, uh, S.D. Smith has shipped out a million embers to people? That seems like a hazard. Yeah. Uh, like, how do you pack an ember? Well, I don't know. We'll have to have him on next time we have him on. We'll have Dry to ask ice, him. maybe? Yeah. yeah, well, I got to get to the bottom of that. That's yeah. Well, you, why don't, why don't you look into that while, I'm, uh, while I read the story? Because this week's story is called The Christmas Fairy of Strasbourg. It's by Francis Jenkins Olcott, and it's a German fairy tale. I could tell by the city name. <laughs> Strasbourg. Mm. It's probably not even in Germany. Okay, here we go. Are you ready, Graham? Ready. Okay. 
Once long ago, there lived near the ancient city of Strasbourg on the River Rhine, a young and handsome count whose name was Otto. As the years flew by, he remained unwed and never so much as cast a glance at the fair maidens of the country round. For this reason, people began to call him Stoneheart. Ooh. It chanced that Count Otto, on one Christmas Eve, ordered that a great hunt should take place in the forest surrounding his castle. He and his guests and his many retainers rode forth, and the chase became more and more exciting. It led through thickets and over pathless tracts of forest, until at length Count Otto found himself separated from his companions. He rode on by himself until he came to a spring of clear, bubbling water, known to the people around as the Fairy Well. Here, Count Otto dismounted. He bent over the spring and began to lave his hands in the sparkling tide. But to his wonder, he found that though the weather was cold and frosty, the water was warm and delightfully caressing. This sounds excellent. He felt a glow of joy pass through his veins. And as he plunged his hands deeper, he fancied that his right hand was grasped by... The, the uh, Balrog of Strasbourg. <laughs> Another soft and small, which gently slipped from his finger the gold ring he always wore. Ooh. And lo, when he drew out his hand, the golden ring was... Gone. Gone indeed. Full of wonder at this mysterious event, the Count mounted his horse and returned to his castle. Oh, I gotta stop you. Yep. The Count dunked his hand, his frigid hand, his numb hand into warm water. His ring fell off because he dunked his whole hand into water. And then he was shocked and amazed that it was missing. Yeah, but I think, I think there was a, I think something, I think maybe like a hand took the ring off. There was a hand in the water. I don't, I don't know. I think this guy might just be strange. Well, full of wonder at this mysterious event, the Count mounted his horse and returned to his castle, resolving in his mind that the very next day he would have the fairy well emptied by his servants. Mm. He retired to his room, and throwing himself just as he was upon his couch, tried to sleep. But the strangeness of the adventure kept him restless and wakeful. Yeah, that makes sense. Suddenly, he heard the hoarse baying of the watchhounds in the courtyard, and then the creaking of the drawbridge as though it were being lowered. And then came to his ear the patter of many small feet on the stone staircase. Mm. And next, he heard indistinctly the sound of light footsteps in the chamber adjoining his own. Count Otto sprang from his couch. And as he did so, there sounded a strain of delicious music. And the door of his chamber was flung open. Hurrying into the next room, he found himself in the midst of numberless fairy beings, clad in gay and sparkling robes. They paid no heed to him but began to dance and laugh and sing to the sound of mysterious music. In the center of the apartment stood a splendid... Uh, uh, the fairy? Christmas tree. Oh. The first ever seen in that country. Ah. Instead of toys and candles, there hung on its lighted boughs diamond pearls, pearl necklaces, bracelets of gold ornamented with colored jewels, aigrettes of rubies and sapphires, silken belts embroidered with oriental pearls, and daggers mounted in gold and studded with the rarest gems. The whole tree swayed, sparkled, and glittered in the radiance of its many lights. Hmm, this is interesting. Okay, so the fairies took his ring. And next thing and you know, there's a Christmas tree in his room. There's a Christmas tree in the room, and they don't, they don't care much about him. They just put it there and dance in. Right, yeah. Sounds like my children. Yeah. Count Otto. Sounds like every Christmas party I've been to. Or hosted. <laughs> You're just like in the corner watching people dance around a Christmas tree. They, that they brought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. <laughs> we should. This should be like a party. Like you, you, it's like the the whole gag of the party. <laughs> it's like I already have one, but okay. Cat Otto stood speechless, gazing at all this wonder. When suddenly the fairy stopped dancing and fell back to make room for a lady of dazzling beauty who came slowly toward him. She wore on her raven black tresses a golden diadem set with jewels. Her hair flowed down upon a robe of rosy satin and creamy velvet. She stretched out two small white hands to the count and addressed him in sweet, alluring tones. Hello, Count. (laughs) (laughs) Dear Count Otto, she said, I come to return your Christmas visit. I am Ernestine, the queen of the fairies. I bring you something you lost in the fairy well. As she spoke, she drew from her bosom a golden casket set with diamonds and placed it into his hands. Casket, huh? He opened it eagerly and found within his lost gold ring. Okay. Carried away by the wonder of it all and overcome by an irresistible impulse, the Count pressed the fairy Ernestine to his heart while she, holding him by the hand, drew him into the magic mazes of the dance. The magic mazes of the dance is a... Is an interesting phrase. Mm-hmm. The mysterious music floated through the room, and the rest of the fairy company circled and whirled around the fairy queen and Count Otto, and then gradually dissolved into a mist of many colors, leaving the Count and his beautiful guest alone. Then the young man, forgetting all his former coldness toward the maidens of the country, fell on his knees before the fairy and besought her to become his bride. At last she consented on the condition that he should never speak the word death in her presence. Hmm. The next day, the wedding of the Count and Ernestine, Queen of the Fairies, was celebrated with great pomp and magnificence, and the two continued to live happily for many years. Now, it happened on a time that the Count and his fairy wife were to hunt in the forest around the castle. The horses were saddled and bridled, and standing at the door, the company waited, and the Count paced the hall in great impatience. But still the fairy Ernestine tarried long in her chamber. At length, she appeared at the door of the hall, and the Count addressed her in anger. You have kept us waiting so long, he cried, that you would make a good messenger to send for death. (gasps) Scarcely had he spoken the forbidden and fatal word when the fairy, uttering a wild cry, vanished from his sight. In vain, Count Otto, overwhelmed with grief and remorse, searched the castle and the fairy well. No trace could he find of his beautiful lost wife but the imprint of her delicate hand set in the stone arch above the castle gate. Years passed by. Mm. The Count continued to grieve, and every Christmas Eve he set up a lighted tree in the room where he had first met the fairy, hoping in vain that she would return to him. Time passed, and the Count died. The castle fell into ruins, but to this day may be seen above the massive gate, deeply sunken in the stone arch, the impress of a small and delicate hand. And such, say the good folks of Strasbourg, was the origin of the Christmas tree. The end. That was beautiful. A little melancholy. Well, it's a melancholy Christmas tale from Germany. This all tracks. <laughs> yeah, when you when some, when someone says, "Hey, you should read a German uh, Christmas tale," you definitely don't expect it to be uh, full of too much frivolity. Like it can't end with the frivolity. That's for sure. Right. And then they all ate salted licorice and sang a dirge, and someone fell into the well. <laughs> They were never seen again. But at least they have a tradition to pass on. <laughs> yeah, they put the tree up and they dunk Jimmy in the well. <laughs> uh, I, I want I want origin stories for everything to do with Christmas from Germany. That's what I want. The candy cane, the Christmas present. Once upon a time, there was a shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. fell into the well. Oh, he found a, uh, a waterfall 
a fairy waterfall and tried to drink out of it. All right, maybe that could be a good prompt for the kids to write a story. Yeah, what do you what yeah, okay, we yeah, everybody should have to come up with their own story for the origin of something. What's a good Christmas tradition? Uh bunt cake. <laughs> no, Christmas uh, Christmas uh, no, we can't do Christmas because the next season it'll be like St. Patrick's Day or something. Um, we'll, see. well, they can send them in still. Just do what, yeah, do whatever you want. Okay, no, here, pick we, a tradition for any holiday. Well, this is just a prompt, though. Yeah. Because we already got like 10 submissions and those people didn't do what we're about to say to do. Yeah, it's, not, it's just one way okay. to write a story. So pick uh, 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 any any holiday. And then choose yeah. a specific tradition. So a Christmas tree, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's a tradition of red eggs at Easter. Fireworks, 4th of July. Or, yeah, come up, write a story, a thousand word story or so. That is the origin story. Of some part of, of that. something of that. It's but good. I like that. You got to have a, choose a country that that oh, origin yeah, comes yeah. from. And it has to connect somehow. Yeah, so you have to maybe, you might have to, you know, do a little research on those countries. We'll make it a little bit harder. If so. it's Nordic, just put a lot of like herring references, fish references. <laughs> a lot of fish references, yeah. Yeah. If it's Australia, just uh, rugby, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand, Lord of the Rings. My, we, my yeah. family lives in Australia. The best I could come up with was rugby. rugby? <laughs> it was a question, too. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to introduce you to. Our guest this week, Andrew Peterson and Chris Wall. And we're back. Shocking. To introduce <laughs> to introduce everybody to Andrew Peterson and Chris Wall. Andrew Peterson, of course, is the author of the Wing Feather Saga. Chris Wall is the executive producer of the Wing Feather Saga TV series. We got to talk to them a couple weeks ago about what it was like to make this show. Uh, all the work that went into adapting it. And you guys sent in so many great questions that uh, they were very impressed by. I saw their faces yeah. when these questions came in. And we asked a ton of them, and it was still like less than half. Yeah, yeah. We were really impressed with just the the interest uh, in this show. And mm-hmm. the first episode, the premiere episode of the Wingfeather Saga TV series debuted on December 2nd. Now, that's a couple days ago. If you have not seen it yet, you can go to YouTube or you can go to angel.com to learn more and to figure out how to watch that. This is all free. It's the, the series was crowdfunded. So you do not have to pay anything. You don't have to have a different subscription. Now, if you, if you like it, you can help support them because they're going to try to do seven seasons on these books. Yeah, crazy. So, yeah. So awesome. you can help keep supporting them and making sure it, 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 this you know, keeps going. We had a great time chatting with them. Uh, you've watched the, the pilot? I watched the pilot. I yeah. watched the pilot too, yeah. Yeah, oh. we got sent the little the premiere. It was it was really cool of them to send that to us, and and this is Andrew Peterson's uh, sophomore appearance, yeah, his second time on, yeah, uh, with you and But it was fun to hear from the producer too, because you saw how they work together yeah. and, and the partnership that it is, and they talk about all the different people that are involved. And, and the kids don't know this, but after the show, Andrew said, um, "With you, Wendell, like being on with you, Wendell, is like." the the height of his career like he, he like as far as like his rankings go it's being on with you Wendell twice that was at the top mm-hmm. then the show then his albums and books mm-hmm. and then you know family and things like that but it was really cool of him to like put us that high I, you was, know, I didn't hear any of that i don't was think i gone at that point I should, uh yeah uh, yeah yeah okay it could have been a dream i, I believe know. you <laughs> i don't know I, well without further ado 
Here is our conversation with Chris Wall and Andrew Peterson, and you can hear for yourself whether it seems like Andrew Peterson would have said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Peterson, Chris Wall, thanks so much for, for joining Withy Wendell and, and uh, taking some time to answer some of our listeners' questions. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Glad to be here. So as, uh, as is usual, we have a lot of questions from kids, but we got even more questions than normal. So it's clear that our listeners are excited for this show. And um, it, it seems like some of them, although they are nine years old, have been waiting for 25 years for this <laughs> show to happen. So there's a lot of excitement out there. And we'll start with this one. This comes, uh, this comes from Caleb. And he wants to know how much of the first book of season, uh, how much of the first book season, season one of the show will cover. And then Garrett, who is his brother, wants to know if Andrew Peterson is doing the voice of Oscar himself. <laughs> well, I can answer question number two by saying, uh, why, yes, of course, I'm doing the voice of Oscar. No, sir, cheap. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yes, that is me. And then we're going to, so season one is book one. So six episodes, season one is book one. Uh, but that's not going to be the case going forward. We're actually s- stretching out a little bit. And so uh, uh, we, br- we broke all four books up into seven seasons. Um, so it is, a, it is a long, exciting journey ahead of us. I have to offer to Andrew, I had to kind of c- convince him to play Oscar. I just felt like it, that was like his, my, my favorite character of his. And he was like, yeah, but my British isn't very good. And I'm like, okay, well, let's imagine that Oscar's British is not very good. <laughs> like, maybe that's not native to him. Uh, and it's been awesome. He uh, just brings such uh, warmth and fun. And for anybody that's heard him do the read alouds, I know a lot of the kids mm-hmm. have, um, you know, he's a pretty great Oscar. Uh, so, uh, it's been all awesome. shucks, you guys. <laughs> okay, so that raises the question, though: if, as you put it, British is not has come natural to him, what does come natural to him? Well, the, the what I landed on was the idea that, like, like the you know where we thought through the accents in the world, and so Scree mm. is loosely like America. You know, it's kind of a melting pot, yeah. and it, they've got the kids all have American accents, but Nia has a slight. Polish accent, which is a little bit Irish, um, for reasons that I will not spoil in case mm-hmm. there are people out there who have not read the books. Um, but but the idea was that Oscar wishes he was British. He's not British, but he wishes that he was <laughs> because he's like this uh, this book, bookish guy who just thinks like, oh, this is the dignified way to speak. Oh. So it, it's, a, it's a nice little, uh, little safety um, so the British people won't be mad at me for ruining their accent. Hey, while we're talking about accents, uh, Kevin McNally, who plays Hodo, um, and of course is quite famous for playing a pirate in Pirates of the Caribbean, playing Mr. Gibbs, um, when he first stepped in, he said, hey, can I not do um, kind of a British pirate affected? Could I do an American? He's actually British, which is fun. Could I do an American accent, <laughs> Hodo? Which is actually, yeah, I mean, Hodo yeah. grew up in Clipwood and Scree, so wouldn't that be? And so that's yeah. what he's brought, uh, which, you know, makes that voice kind of separate from his other pirate characters, but also like, okay, that's cool. We haven't heard that. And every time we're in the booth and I hear him delivering it that way, it's, it's, it feels fresh. You know, it's, of course the British guy doing an American accent, which is always entertaining. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah. And the idea was that Poto, like in the lore of the world, like he would have grown up in Scree, but he also ran with the Stranders and they had their own accent. And then he went off mm-hmm. to see and he hung out with it. So he, he, it's, he was an American accent that got, you know, infused with just a little bit of pirate. And man, he wrote it. He wrote the line perfectly. Kevin just mm-hmm. nailed it. So he still sounds piratey, but 
he sounds American. I don't know how he did it. That's awesome. All right. So um, for this episode, we sent out an email to a lot of kids and we said, hey, we're going to have Andrew Peterson on and uh, the producer of the Wing Feather uh, Saga show, Chris. And Felix asked an awesome question. It's a question I've been wondering my whole life, to be honest. Uh, Felix says, Chris, uh, what's a producer? It's <laughs> a great question. It's a great question. I get it's funny. I get adults asking that question a lot too. So Felix, you're you're in the you're in the zone here. Um, so that's like asking. It does vary a little bit between television, film, different ways. So producers can that role can change a little bit. For television, a producer is kind of like a coach. So their job is to to get the right people in and do the right types of jobs and set them off to to win the game. Right in our game, it's tell a great story. And, uh, so that can, those responsibilities can be all over the place. They can be creative responsibilities to make sure that it's, mm-hmm. it's doing what it's supposed to do creatively. Uh, and then it can also be, you know, timeline that, that how fast it gets stuff done and then how much it costs to do that. So it can kind of affect a lot of different parts. Um, it's interesting in television, they, there's a term that came up called showrunner. Um, and, and that is someone whose job is pitching the show at the front. It should be a show like this and it should feel like this that they're the ones that make sure creatively that that ends up being what gets delivered at the end. And someone has to kind of bridge across that. And so the producer in television ends up having people like a director. We have an episode director that works uh, uh, right down there in the trenches of making that episode. Um, And then um, I get to be kind of over the top of that making and just kind of trying to provide the resources and be a sounding board and, and keep everything going the same direction. You know, because you got a lot of good creative people and you could kind of wander off into the woods pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, keep them all going the right way. So you're kind of a wrangler of ideas and people and budgets and, and all that type of stuff. So so like you were saying, um, if an actor comes to you with a suggestion or an idea, is it your job to kind of weigh that and figure out if it actually makes sense for the show? Or are you bringing that to the director? Or how does that work? That's cool. Yeah. And Andrew and I are both executive producers. So we both get to do some of that uh-huh. work. We get to sit there and go, Hey, so that's a really fun idea. I think the hardest part when people have really, and they're involved creatively is to take the idea and help it find its, its new space. Right. If it's not maybe the right thing that you're into. So it's like not shutting them down. Right. You don't want to say, no, it's a bad idea. And, and you're coming up with terrible, like you want to find a way to say, Oh, I like that. I wonder if it could go this way. Right. And sometimes you do have to kind of turn something off. Uh, but a lot of times it's collaborating. And I think animation is one of the most collaborative uh, uh, art forms out there where everybody's taking, you know, a thing that is not alive and animating it to life. Mm. Right. Through a really layered process uh, over a long time. I remember seeing a an interview with Martin Scorsese um, that you kids out there won't know who he is, but he's a famous movie director. And the interviewer asked him, like, what does that mean? You're a director. What, what is How do you describe your job? And he was like, you know what? It means I make about 10,000 little decisions every day. So somebody has to be the one to say yes or no to these little, little tiny little things and, uh, and have an opinion. Like it may not be the right opinion, but somebody has got to have an opinion, you know, mm-hmm. or we're all going to get stuck on something. So I think Chris is, does a great job of just kind of like making, like somebody's got to, the buck's got to stop somewhere. And mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's part of the producer's job. So Andrew, was it was it hard for you to I don't want to say let go of the story, but to bring in other creative people into this story that you've sort of spent so much time thinking about and and investing in and 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 loving? Was that a difficult thing for you to do? 
Uh, no, not at all. Actually. Um, I, you know, I think that's one of the advantages of having been a singer songwriter first mm. is that yeah. I learned a long time ago when you're making music, it is not a one man show. Like there are co-writers, yeah. there's a producer, there's all the players that come in, mm. you know, you hire a band because the song is better with the band playing on it. Right. Yeah. And so that idea of taking the little thing that you made and, and trusting it to a team that you, uh, that you trust, uh, is just, you know, that it's going to make the, the thing itself better. Mm. And so I, I just, I, I didn't have any qualms about it. And assuming, you know, we hired the right people, which I think we did, you know, it's this amazing team of people. Uh, you know, what I get to be in the room and every now and then I'll have a suggestion or I'll kind of raise my hand and be like, Oh yeah, I'm not sure if that will work. But for the most part, I get to be a cheerleader. So Audrey actually asked that question that I just asked and I forgot to mention <laughs> her name, but she had a, she, she added a little coda to the question, I suppose. She said, did you have any surprising rewards that came out of that letting go process? Yeah. Uh, so the, the, that's a good question. So the, what was really fun was, so I, I don't know if you guys know how this works, but what you do is you get the, the writers. There's a team of three or four, four writers and they all know like book one better than anybody in the world knows book one. They've read it mm -hmm. and they've underlined stuff and their job is to try to like break up book one into six episodes and they write all their notes down. They figure out all the timelines, who's doing what and where. And then there's the big moment where there's the pitch of the season. Right. And so uh, I wasn't there for a lot of the, the, the wrestling through the whole thing, but then when they're ready, I get to go sit in the room and listen to them describe here's what happens in season one this person goes here and then it ends here and then season episode two happens and then and they kind of it takes you know an hour and a half or so they walk through the entire show and uh and i got to experience on the edge of the dark sea of darkness in a completely new way as if i hadn't written it and that was mm -hmm. one of the real fun surprises it was just kind of like i i had this you know recipe that was book one and these guys cooked this different meal out of it and I got to kind of like experience book one uh, as an objective viewer. Cause you know, when you write the book, you're on the inside of it the whole time. And now it was like sitting out there apart from me. And it was just, I remember crying at the end of it because it was so huh. gratifying and, and fun to kind of say, Oh wow, there's, there's the story, but it's, it's different and it's fuller in some ways. And so uh, yeah, that was, that was a great blessing. So on that note, similarly, how much did you guys, this is for both of you. Did you have to worry about, altering the story or trimming it or whatever the word is to make it mm -hmm. um, accessible to people who don't know the world already, who don't have the, uh, you know, the opportunity to really sink into a book, you know, the way you can kind of really unpack a lot of things over the course of 30 or 40 pages. You can't always do that on the show. So did, how much did you have to think about, okay, this person's probably, this, there's going to be people who don't read the books. They just don't aren't going to read the books. But then I also have the people who adore these books. Um, how much did that have to like become a calculation that you had to think about? Yeah, it's interesting. So for me, I kind of back into it, right? So the format right away, half hour episodes. Okay. In a half hour, there's certain rhythms to what you can get done. So there's, there's some structure that comes into play. We knew we had six episodes. That helps. So you, you start there. Okay, this is... It's like putting all your, pouring all your tools out on the floor, all your stuff and go, okay, here's what we have. And so us and the writers start working through like, okay, what, what could this be? And Andrew had, had done such a great job of, of tending to the story over the years. So he didn't just write the books and then walk away. 
Um, he did read alouds. He, you know, just was involved with his fans. And so Andrew had gotten a real good sense of what were the key things that really worked, were really important. And so that was good to have, right? So we knew, okay, we definitely want to make sure those moments are really strong. Don't want to lose those. So those become kind of put them on the shelf. And then it's like, how do we get to those moments? Um, the hard part about adaptation, which is what we call when you go from one thing to another. So going from a book to a television series, adaptation has a, has a real risk of becoming derivative. I think fans of any book want, I want everything that's in this book. I've got my old ragged copy of <laughs> this one's kind of beat up. Um, I want every page to be on screen. You actually don't really want that um, because that becomes derivative. <laughs> it's actually like a bit boring. I think our experience with the Harry Potter books was like, oh, we love these books. And then the movie, some of those movies are pretty like page for page. And it's like, I'm feeling a little bit bored. Ugh, it's the worst thing ever, right? I think to, to slow an audience down. In our process, we're trying to find how do I re-experience the story fresh while making it the same story? You also don't want to run off and just make a whole new story. So I'm tired of that mm-hmm. story. I want to do my own. And so it's this delicate balance between the two of finding what are those cool moments. And we, we imagine like if Andrew was like this documentarian watching a story and writing it down in the books. And then we get to come along and watch the same story, but we're using a completely different medium. So we're using visuals. And so we can Mm -hmm. see things and and display them differently. Uh, And we can kind of tell moments in a fresh way that maybe you didn't experience it that way in the book, but you could experience here. We also don't have the author voice, right? We're not in there saying, this is what the character's thinking, right? And this is how Mm -hmm. they're feeling. We don't get to do that. We have to show you those things. Uh, and try to emote that and, and give you a visual tableau, but also kind of invite you to fill in the blanks, right? We don't answer every little thing. Um, so it's, it's quite an interesting process. Uh, but yeah, I start with the big rocks, basically. Put the big rocks in and then see what other little things come along. Uh, to, what I, what I love, love about it is that uh, like if you watch the movies or the series, and then you read the books, you're going to, in the reading of the books, you're, there's going to be a lot of information that you didn't have in the series. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've read the books and then you watch the movies, the movies are going to tell you things that the books didn't tell you, but they're all about the same story. That's yeah. how I see mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so continuing on, let's, let's, uh, let's talk a bit about those visuals. Um, so Anna, who's 13, wants to know what tools you guys use to create the animation. Are they drawn by hand or created on a computer or a co- combination of both of those things? Great question. Yeah, Chris? that's a lot of fun. Uh, it is drawn by hand on a computer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a little bit of both. So I, I, I hate telling people that it's all computer, but it is actual hand, you know, painted. Um, and then the animation is actually two things. Uh, one is um, in a computer actually moving each arm and each thing around the right way but then it's also people wearing um special gloves special costumes and they can actually move around and perform the characters so the animators in in animation are the actors uh, and they work with the voice actors and they create a performance right so the voice Uh actor does one thing and then the animator does another and they kind of do a dance together Sometimes they step on each other's toes a little bit, but uh, they get to do that sometimes in, we call it motion capture, uh, where they can capture part of that. They always go through and then refine that performance a little bit more uh, in the computer, but it is a bit of both. Uh, in our, we decided to embrace CG, computer graphic animation, which is like you see with Pixar, mm-hmm. and 2D animation and kind of merge them into one. And so the characters and the props and all things are computer made 
and kind of like 3D models, they move around. But then all the environments are 2D. They're painted backgrounds, uh, layered and done really cool stuff with to make it feel like they're actually in the same space together. And there's lots of tricks about how you do your lighting and shading to make that your brain doesn't go, wait, that's not real. Uh, but uh, it is a blend of both things, which we love. We really wanted something that felt handcrafted. Like, mm-hmm. like for the kids out there, they, they'll see the brush strokes, right? You'll see the, um, the, the, the artist's work right there on screen. Uh, the computer doesn't clean it up. We actually are using really powerful computers using Unreal Engine and doing it wrong. We're actually breaking it and hobbling it and saying, don't make it photo real. Don't make it feel like it's the real world. Make it feel like it's a painting and, mm-hmm. and it's a, a bit more abstract. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and so Andrew, this is a question from Leah and maybe it's difficult to answer since you've been in the process for so long, you have to remember that. <laughs> um, but how similar is the show to how you pictured things from your books is what she wants to know. Very similar. Yeah. Mm. It's been really cool to see the, like I've kind of forgotten what it looked like before the show existed in a good way that can happen in a bad way with some adaptations. But with this book, mm-hmm. like one of the joys of being in the room and being a part of the process is, is uh, having a little bit of a say in the way things are looking and feeling. Um, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but like before I, when I was in high school, I was the art kid. So I was always, you know, I had all these art classes and my, my drawings and stuff were always hanging up in the, in the display of the cabinet at school. It was a very small high school. So that isn't saying much, but, uh, but, <laughs> but I here we are. Yeah. Interviewed at Savannah College of Art and Design. I wanted to draw Batman comics. I wanted to be an artist. And then I realized somewhere along the line that I didn't really love it enough to to learn how to do it. And so I started playing guitar and I turned into a songwriter. And so uh, so all that to say, like, I know enough about art to know that I can't do it, but I do have an eye for what I like and for what's good. Yeah. And so I've gotten to art direct, you know, the book covers and all my album covers, that kind of thing uh, over the years. And so that that said, I've never... I've always had that the pictures in my mind of what the thing was supposed to look like. You know, I illustrated some of the first, uh, the toothy cow in book one, you know, and the horned hound, like those are some of my drawings. So it's been like, it's been fun to be in the room and have a team that, you know, you actually get to work together to get close to the thing that was in my brain. Mm. I was, uh, I really like um, your books for adults on, <laughs> on Thanks. art. Um, and, one of the things I like about them is that it has your sketches and your drawings and things like that. It makes me want to learn how to draw trees. Um, but it, it made me wonder how much you were involved in the process of this animation. So I know you're saying you're not, you're not, you don't have the particular skills that these animators are doing, but are you, are you, were you in the room at all? Like I wasn't clear on that. Like, are you in the room? Are you drawing sketches? Are you saying, well, could we, drawing something real quick, maybe sending it on to the animator and saying, can we tweak this a little bit like this? Uh, usually it's, it's the art director, Garrett Taylor. He's the guy who's doing a lot of that work. They do draw overs. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. the artist will uh, draw an environment and then he will look at it and, and draw over it with red, a red, you know, virtual pen and say, Hey, I think his eyes need to be this shape or, or, you know, the, the building ought to be a little wonkier here. He does a lot of that work. And then once all those iterations are done, then those things are posted online on the Slack channel. It's like the the way that we work together spread out all over the world. And I get to approve thumbs up or thumbs down or say, yeah, of those three options, number three is the one that I think is the best one. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot yeah. of thousand little decisions. Yeah. This yeah. is such, this, this is so inside baseball in a way that the kids are absolutely going to love. <laughs> I hope so. 
I would have loved it when I was a kid. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, we we definitely got a lot of questions about the show. We also got a few fun questions that the kids are just interested in a lot of things. So we're going to take a slight detour here before we come back to the show. I'm going to start with you, Chris, on this one. Uh, how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about hot chicken, Nashville hot chicken? Mm, mm, I love Nashville hot chicken from Isaac um, and Charlotte. Yeah, thanks, Isaac. Uh, Nashville hot chicken is um, was was a uh, was a late adopter. We've lived here for eighteen years and uh, uh, kind of stumbled upon Hattie B's is one of our hot chicken restaurants here, and um, uh, went and did, I did a selection of tenders. And so here they have um, a very very hot one called Shut the Cluck Up. It's it's super hot and it makes you cry when you have it. And, um, but it's, it's a funny delayed reaction with that particular hot chicken because you taste it and your mouth doesn't burn immediately. It's like, Oh, that's nice. And nor does your throat, it gets down in your chest and it just burns. And, uh, but it tastes so good. You don't want to stop. Uh, so I did love some hot chicken. I, I like the flavor of hot chicken, but I don't love super spicy. So I always get the mild one. Okay. Yeah. I can't take it. I can't take it. I just sweat the whole time. And that is not fun to me. <laughs> So, Andrew, uh, the Nygards want to know, uh, because they also lived in Illinois, uh, they want to know what you miss most about Illinois, <laughs> if anything, they say. They, there's a caveat. Uh, and if you have a favorite childhood memory of Illinois. Oh, man. Uh, I miss, that's a good question, mm-hmm. uh, harvest time, because we lived surrounded by cornfields. And so I miss seeing combines harvesting corn riding on the combines, um, the, uh, the color of the world, uh, in Illinois at that time of year is just the most autumnal, beautiful thing. Um, and my favorite memories, man, I, there, there's so many, I just, I think uh, once again, corn, I have these vivid memories of, of, uh, playing hide and seek in the cornfields around my house. We weren't supposed to be in there, I don't think, but, um, but yeah, the feeling of kind of being in the middle of a sea of corn, among all those rows and not really knowing where you are was just magical to me. Okay. Here's a good one. Um, I mean, Chris, I don't know if you lived in Illinois, if you want to respond to the Illinois question too, you're welcome to, (laughs) but, uh, Oh, I, I have not lived, but I know Illinois can be very cold in the winter. So that's, that's my experience. (laughs) And that's what you imagine that you would miss the most. Yeah. When I joined making veggie tales, uh, the people moving out of Illinois to Tennessee, we're thankful to have moved away from all the old <laughs> of Chicago. <laughs> okay, so um, we have one here. A couple of different kids asked what your favorite children's book to film adaptations are. Oh, that's a good one. And so this is one I'd like to hear from both of you. Chris, you want to go first on this? Oh, man. Um, wow. That, it's a tough one because I didn't know the children's book ahead of the adaptation, but Paddington um, mm. is just loved here our whole family paddington one and two two is actually better than the first it's so good um in lifting a story that we're mildly familiar with um the other one that that i have to go right to though is um how to train your dragon um the book was really charming and fun but i didn't have an imagination for what the movie could be and it was one of those where it found really good roots in the book but then just became its own wonderful thing Mm. um so yeah those two you, you want my answer? My, yeah. my, my favorite is The Little Prince on Netflix, um, mm. oh, yeah. adapted from this really beautiful, strange book. Um, and mm. 
I just love the because Little Prince on Netflix is this combination of different kinds of animation and the way they tell the story is is super creative and beautiful. Hmm. Here's one that's kind of similar to that, and then Graham, I know you've got one about uh, that involves music, but this is this is similar in theme. If you could wander into any classic book, say Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, or The Secret Garden, etc., which classic would you choose and why? And that's from Audrey. Uh, let's go Andrew mm. first on that one, and then we'll do Chris. We'll go backwards from what we did last I would, time. I would pick uh, uh, a Sherlock Holmes story. Mm. I think v- Victorian England is a pretty cool place to be. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the thought of like the foggy streets and the you know, the horse-drawn carriages in, in, uh, in London under, you know, big fat full moon, all that kind of spooky vibe just thrills me. So I would, I would say some Sherlock Holmes story. Just and the make sure, just make sure you don't need like surgery or dental work while you're there. Yeah, that's so true. That's so yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. Chris, what about you? Oh man. Um, you know, it's funny. I, when you said it, my brain went to magician's nephew uh, just the blending of the attic and popping into this other world. Like there's so much in Magician's Nephew that, uh, again, it's London, God bless it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that one is, yeah, just, I think the kid explorer in me was like, yes, that has to be how it is. When I crawl in my attic, there's a space that I can get into, you know, Mm. that seems like there'd be a lot of like danger in that one too. There's some well, peril you, involved. If you're going to go into the story of a the world of a story, you got to have some peril. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. You can get you can fall in the wrong pool, and you're in the wrong world, man. You ain't getting back. Yeah. Love that <laughs> risk. All right. So Emily wants to know um, how long has Andrew Peterson wanted to see his book series cast, and did he find it difficult to find someone to produce it? Mm. Uh, I remember when I finished book four, and uh, I thought, okay, cool. The Wing Feather Saga is has done its thing my work is done here uh my i almost immediately i think i saw it was the last airbender avatar the last airbender um our my kids were super into it and uh and that was when the light bulb went on and i was like oh man because i had been you know i'd get the occasional email from somebody asking about you know uh buying the rights to for a movie or something and uh and i was never super excited about that because i thought you know I would rather there be no movie than there be a really bad movie of my books. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, but, but Avatar, the last airbender showed me that there was a way to tell, to animate a really big story, a big epic story. I was like, Ooh, now that could work. And that was right around the time that Chris and I were hanging out in Nashville and, and I'd done some work for veggie tales. I wrote a couple silly songs and met Chris and he liked the books. And I was like, Hey, what do you think about, what do you think about, basically quitting your job and putting your life on the line to try to do this thing. And, <laughs> and amazingly, that's kind of what you ended up doing. Yeah. And it w- that would have been what, six years ago. Uh, yeah. Fall of 2015, we took a walk around Andrew's property and said, Hey, what would it look like to actually go chase this? You know? And um, here we are. Yeah. Here you are on Withy window. Dreams come true. Right? <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing hours and hours of media. Here's a question from uh, Rowan. Um, he says, Andrew, in your stories, you frequently go into your characters' heads and write down what they're thinking. In making the animated TV show, is it difficult to show what your characters are thinking? Do they have to speak their thoughts out loud or are the thoughts just implied with body language or something like that? Okay, that is a really good question. Your ki- these, these kids are asking amazing questions. They're very smart yeah, they're listeners. great. They're amazing. It's, it's all us. 
Just yeah. different names. <laughs> uh, so the, we wouldn't think of that one. No. Yeah. Well, uh, the the answer is yes. It is difficult. It's it's actually very difficult. Um, and, but it's possible. And so mm-hmm. a, a lot of times uh, in the scripts, uh, you know, there's like how many drafts of the scripts are there usually? Like five. Um, five drafts. So every time we get a script from somebody, uh, you know, we go through and make notes at least five times and they adapt it. The, the, the writers will go back and apply those note changes. And so, so you finally arrive at, you know, the script that we're going to use to then take to the next phase, which is storyboarding and all that stuff. Um, and so, uh, in that process, I find myself saying over and over again, show, don't tell, show, don't tell, show, don't tell. Mm. And when you're as a writer, you know, what that means is, um, the same principle applies when you're writing a book, but it applies even more so in film. So like, mm. uh, you don't want a bunch of expository language. You want them to say very little and have what little they say convey a whole lot. And, uh, yes, their body language, the way that they're interacting with each other, a little gesture or a look on somebody's face. Like there's, there's a scene that we wrestled with in the first episode where, you know, we, we realized that if we just removed the line, uh, it allowed the character to show you what he was going to say anyway, right? There's like a lot of moments like that where if you just keep removing dialogue, it puts the it puts the uh, the onus on the animators to try to figure out a way to to show what show it instead of telling it. So yes, that's I think that's most of the game. <laughs> mm. Like like there's some some of the best animated or not even animated, but just films in general. My favorite, some of my favorite kinds to watch are the ones where there's almost no talking. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a wonderful exercise to go. I'm uh, somehow just by showing a bunch of visuals, I'm going to, you're going to get to know the heart of this person. Um, the character is what they do. And so, uh, so yeah, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Animation too, I should tack on has been, is built around that. Like Walt Disney, when he started off, you know, in, in the United States anyways, um, really was about storyboarding first. So they would draw like, like, how does it, does it work here? I've had a lot of scripts over the years, even well with edutails that were like really good scripts, but when they were up in the storyboards, they didn't work. Mm. Um, it has to work in that medium. It has to convey, it has, nobody ever goes reads the script. So if the storyboard is the animatic and then what ultimately gets built, that's not like your blueprints. If it doesn't work, the story doesn't work. And so Walt was famous for doing that. You'd go along a long way with just, you know, pictures and drawings of characters and, and you'd figure it out. And then, and then near the end, he'd say, all right, get a writer in here, put some words in those characters' mouths. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and so a lot of that, you know, for the work we do in the scripts, like Andrew described, we go pretty far, but then it's kind of like you set it aside and say, all right, how does it work here? Does it play? You know, um, have we cut back too far? Like, is there too little being said? I'm confused. Right. Or is there too much being said? I got it. You know, cut that in half. Um, and you really have to decide there, um, what, where the story is going to go. And then everybody else can build on that, right? Your animators and everybody else can kind of help take the story the rest of the way, the sound design and the sound effects and everything else and music. Mm. I, I bet like someone should make a documentary. I mean, maybe I guess people probably have about this process that would, I bet that would be really fascinating for kids who want to be like, to do what you do just to see how it all, it all happens behind the scenes. There's a there's a documentary on Disney Plus called Light and Magic um, that is about uh, Lucasfilm's Industrial Light and Magic, the guys that kind of made Star Wars work way back in the day before they were CGI. And I loved it. I haven't watched all of them yet, but like it was just the the magic of filmmaking is so interesting to me. Um, and like all the nuts and bolts of it. Like I remember when DVDs first came out and they had all these extra features, how fun that was. 
Um, oh, like, yes. <laughs> yeah. We're living in a world where it's like, if you have some curiosity about that, there's a lot of resources. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was going to offer here too, is it takes time. I think one of the things that we always look for as a team is how much time can we have to, th- to think about, to be, to, to have a fresh uh, take on something. Uh, now that can also run the risk of, I get bored of it. I want to make a new decision. Right. Uh, and so you don't want to get into yeah. that space, but it is the, like, I need time to kind of see what the best version of that moment could be. And one of the cool things about animation is you get lots of hits at it over the different cycles to really refine it. They talk about, you know, in, in feature film, like at Pixar and other places, which is a lot more expensive. They spend a lot more time that they will have made their movies usually around three times um, and really get to make three different mm-hmm. decisions about how that unpacks. Famously, Toy Story, there's a great, um, it's, if you want to go read on that, uh, the, the the first version of that movie was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> version was better. And, and the third, of course, is the one that we all know and love. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a layered process. Hmm. Okay, we got time for a couple, only a couple more questions here. So, Graham, take it away. Uh, okay, so this one's from April and the Boys. Um, she <laughs> wants to know how were the voice actors chosen for the show? Did you already know any of them, and do they sound the way you imagined? Well, it was a long process. We actually invited our fans to audition, and so we had um, uh, a lot of fans, hundreds and hundreds of fans that submitted audition, and it was wonderful. To listen through those and hear all these wonderful voices. And, um, and then we had, uh, you know, uh, some that we knew, some voices we knew, what was kind of fun is sometimes we'd hide that. So we wouldn't see their name so we could just hear their voice. Mm. Uh, and then lots of people we didn't know. And in fact, I remember Jody Benson, of course, who is in the show who plays Mia, we actually just listened to her among a bunch of other actresses. It wasn't like, here's Jody Benson. It was just like, here's another voice. What mm. was fun is Andrew and I intentionally listened to those voices separately. Um, as mm. well as our casting director, Ned Lott. He's wonderful at finding and helping us and kind of curating a little bit. Like, uh, here's some voices that are really bringing something special. And then we'd listen to them separately and then we'd compare our notes. And it was kind of like a game show. You know, I have number three. Oh, I had number three too. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, and, and definitely in the case of Jody, we were like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there were other characters that honestly, Janner was definitely a, a hard one to get to find mm-hmm. the right voice. Uh, we talk a lot about in cartoons, you have really broad voices, right. That are just kind of brash or loud or silly, or they're kind of just broad. And our characters in Wingfeather saga are more subtle. They're kind of literature styled characters, right. Who have a lot more nuance to their performance. And it was difficult to cut through some of the cartoon, you know, um, animation actors wanting to be broad and having to pull them back to be subtle. Does that make sense? Um, and so I would say that, um, the process took much longer, Andrew, I think, than either of us expected. All right. The, this question is from Annika. She wants to know, will any of Andrew's songs or music be in the upcoming show? Yes. Uh, we had, it's, it's funny, mm-hmm. there, there are several times in the, um, it's kind of, this is true of the show in general. Like, you know, when I'm writing the book, I, I, you know, I would describe books and crannies. Um, <laughs> you know, and you can describe the bookshelves and you can describe the whatever, but but whenever you're making a show like this, somebody asked to actually decide how big is this building? Is it two stories? Like where are the, where's the desk? You know, you have to get really specific and drill down into things. Um, and so, uh, same thing is true in the book. I would say like, yeah, an Armel and the Bard sang a song about Anira and we've got a scene where he's going to do that. And it's like, Oh, that's right. We need a song about Anira. We, <laughs> we can't just tell the audience. Yeah. He's singing about Anira now. 
or whatever. And so, yeah, there's that song. There's uh, My Love Has Gone Across the Sea makes an appearance. Hmm. Is there anything else in this first season? I can't remember. Oh, Arcadian Wild. So I didn't yeah. write the song, but the uh, it's a song, uh, Jurgen's Tune, which is the the one that Lily sings over the dragons. Uh, this amazing band called the Arcadian Wild. Um, they've been involved in the music and uh, they wrote that one. That's a great name for a band. It's a great band. You should hear the band. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, to answer your question too, we really wanted the music to feel like Andrew's music based in Nashville. So one of the things we did is we had our composer, Kurt Heineke, who had done all the music for VeggieTales and was a part of um, our journey, um, come alongside Ben Shive, who's produced Andrew's records and a lot of other cool guys as our producer and composer. And then they brought in, we had our kid in wild writing music that felt very Nashville while fitting hmm. wing Feather saga. Right. And so, um, the soundtrack is one that I'm super proud of, uh, because hmm. it does feel like it doesn't feel like a regular movie or a TV series. It feels like something that's distinctly from Nashville, which of course, Andrew has been making music in Nashville for a very long time. And so it's pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Is that, which is sound- I was just going to say, which isn't to say it sounds like country music. I just want to be, make it <laughs> different than just country. Yeah. Right. yeah. Is, is that soundtrack going to be available outside the film or outside the show? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I don't know about putting eight track. Very cool. On an eight track. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, hey, Chris, um, since we have you here, can you tell us a little bit about who some of your like animator, um, inspirations are some of the people that inspired you to do this job and who motivate you to to just keep getting better at it well as a kid i had always liked looney tunes and and kind of cartoon side and and so uh, that that library of warner brothers you know bugs bunny and all those was a big anchor for me of just like wow what a way to do this but the little mermaid was a huge influence uh as a homeschool kid living in the plains of colorado uh And the, the, I was, that was really my first introduction to a musical, which I know a lot of people have seen musicals and, and Broadway and such, but I had really ne- have never encountered it. And that musical combined with that art form of animation, um, that was a huge one. Of course, then when Pixar stepped in, um, it just, you know, John Lasseter really brought forward the art form into something else, right? And, and Toy Story and that. Um, you know, my, my favorite of those is Finding Nemo. Um, and that, that, Storycraft, and, and again, like Andrew and I've been talking about, the ability to be patient with a story and let it unfold, and um, let it be scary, you know, and let there be peril. Uh, those, those really for me are our key influences and the kind of things I get into. But I, I, we talked about earlier, but Avatar: Airbender was just profound, and it's like storytelling and and engagement in the fantasy space, um, you know. So yeah, a number of different influences. Yeah. All right, Graham, I think we got time for like one, maybe two here. We got to let these guys go on and uh, finish the actual show, right? That's right. That's right. All right. So um, this question, um, well, we're just curious. So you've mentioned, uh, we we know the first season. It's in production. It's coming out very, very soon. Um, but you've also mentioned subsequent seasons and and even plans that you have that sound like they're maybe kind of concrete what what do you guys think and what what is confirmed and and what is just kind of hoped for at this point yeah what can you reveal yeah yeah i mean we are we have broken broken up the four books into seven seasons so uh you know the books get a little longer 
every with everyone and so there mm-hmm. it doesn't really make sense to keep them all six episodes so mm-hmm. we're we're going to branch it out into seven seasons uh lord willing and the um and we are in pre-production on season 2 already wow so that's never fun. stops yeah, yeah and yeah. i just watched episode 3 in storyboards uh yesterday for season, so for season two yeah for season nice. two yeah so wow. we're into it you know the the cool thing about what we get to do here guys is we are community supported so the fact that we're getting to make the series is because a, a community of people came around and and invested in making the the, the series at the beginning uh, last year you know we set the record for the largest crowdfunded family series of all time and, and that's because a whole lot of people brought in their their part, right? So it wasn't one big person writing a big fat check. It was a lot of people contributing and making it. So as the series goes on, it will be a question of that community support. Uh, so the show is always free. So with Angel Studios, who distributes our show, uh, the show will always be free. So you can go on uh, the Angel Studios app or, or on your computer, whatever, and watch our show. And then if you like it, you get to say, I want to be a part of this. And you could go buy a merch and that helps support our show. Or you could, they have a thing called pay it forward and, the, and you can, it's like a tip jar, right? <laughs> you go, I like this, make more of it. I, I laugh about this because like if Mandalorian in season one at the end had had a button I could press to make season two come faster, I would have pressed it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for us, we hope that the, uh, the audience comes around and says, we want to see more of this. And if mm-hmm. they do, we're going to go make more of it, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, 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 it's not guaranteed. Uh, but we're certainly started the process uh, because we want to be prepared that if the audience gets really excited about season one, that we can come and bring season two very quickly. We don't want to wait too long. You know, I think a lot of times on shows, if you wait too long, you forget about them and it's, you can't remember what it was about anymore. You know, we want yeah. to try to get back to the audience, hopefully about a year from now. Okay. Andrew, this is a question that might not have a question mark at the end of it, but um, you, this must be really rewarding for you to see the, these stories that you spent hours and hours in coffee shops or in your mm-hmm. studio at home working on. And then first they go out to the kids and the kids love them and then their parents love them and then they're telling other people. And then you've got the box set of that. And then now you've got all these different animators. Like it's just this, this whole thing has grown out of it. So um, that just, that must be, I mean, that, it, that's rare, right? Like not everybody <sighs> gets to experience that. And that must be really cool. So I'll just say that must be a really cool question mark. That must be really cool. And I will say it is definitely really cool. We, we, it is felt, uh, yeah, I just, I'm pinching myself. It's, it's too good to be true. I just I can hardly believe it. You know, like, like I said, when I finished book four, finished writing it and, uh, it was such a gratifying feeling to finally come, you know, make it across the finish line and have the satisfaction of seeing all four books on the shelf. And I, there's one big story and I was like, okay, I wonder what's next. I guess I'm moving on to the next thing, you know? And then, the fact that all these years later it's still kind of growing and we're, we're doing this new version is just one of the most amazing things. I never, ever, ever, ever would have guessed that this is what we would be doing. And so I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't even, I don't have words for it. I'm amazed. So thank you to the people out there who are helping us to do this. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. We'll let you go so you can get back to it, but we really appreciate the time here on Withy Wendell and good luck with the show. Am I allowed to say that? Do you have to say break a leg to an animator too? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but um, we're, we're excited about it and can't wait to share it with our families and our friends. So thanks for being Thank here. Thank you guys. Thank you. See ya. It's good to see you. Bye. All right. Well, that was Andrew Peterson and Chris Wall. We are so grateful to them for coming on and spending some time with us. We hope you enjoyed that conversation and we hope that you really enjoy uh, watching that series uh, th- throughout this December and January. 
Again, if you want to learn more, you can head to angel.com or search Wingfeather Saga on YouTube. Please do check that out. It's pretty great. Graham, you know what that brings us to, though? The end of another episode. Not just, also, not just any episode. The end of another season brings us, sadly, to the end of season four. Should we do season five? Well, if it was up to you and me, the answer would be yes. I think we just need to hear from the kids if yeah. they want us to keep going. Actually, you know what? Gargolhauser just came back. He did? Yeah, like an hour ago. He did? Yeah. Oh. You know he wouldn't come say hi. I just happened to see him. Yeah, oh, you were walking sleeping, past the lair? And he had the printer. He brought the printer back the printer with printer him? Back. And oh. so I think we got to give the printer another shot. Okay. So season five has to happen. Okay. Well, they, so, I don't okay. want to make... We'll do one more season, and then if the kids don't want it, we'll just... It's fine. <laughs> we'll shut it down then. If he If he finds out that we just made a decision to not do another season... I don't want to troll wrath. Like, I don't want to know yeah, what that would do. I think true. you, I think he would burn, you know, it's, it's true. It'd be mayhem. That's true. And, and dirt and, and slime. And there'd be a lot of ink around. There'd be a lot Just, of ink. I think he would come up, knock. He might even like, um, reorganize your shelves. Ooh, okay. Put nonfiction oh, in the all right, fiction. All right, all right. I said, we'll do it. I said, okay. we'll do it. <laughs> we'll do see. Middle grade in the kids lit. We'll no. be back. <laughs> we'll be back for season five. Uh, we're going to take some time off. We got to gear up for the next season. We got to schedule more guests. If you want a specific guest, if you would love to hear from somebody, please email us at podcast at goldberrybooks.com or get in touch with us on social, social media. You know who people always say? Who? Nathan Hale and Shannon Messenger. I get those all the time. And we've been trying. Yeah. We're, I'm just putting it out into the universe. Yeah. Yeah. We're working, we're working, working on, on getting them. all kinds of great people. But, you know, we, we also like to talk to people who maybe aren't quite as well known yet. Yeah. That so if too. you have an author that you love, who's maybe not that well known, we'd love to hear from them. You'd hear from you too about mm-hmm. them. So, and I think every season we're going to try to bring one person back from a previous season, like how we had Andrew Peterson this season. Yeah. And, and last season we brought back Creaney and Glazer and yeah, yeah. So if there's somebody who's been on before and you're like, please bring that person back on, let us know. Unless it's SD Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also, if you want to um, help us spread the word, we'd appreciate that. You know, when you leave a review on the, whatever app you use, that's really helpful to us. But it's especially helpful when you just tell your friends and your family to listen and tune in. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a big help to us to, to, to keep doing this. Yep. Thanks to all of our sponsors this mm-hmm. this season, especially SD Smith and the Tree Street Kids series and uh, Glenn McCarty. Yeah. Um, we're really grateful to are the people who help make this possible anything else you'd like to say as we end season four uh no i'm just glad you brought the reviews thing up because i know person i know when people leave a rating and a review uh the ceo of apple tim cook yeah. he gets a little notification and it, and he goes hmm good and then he votes us up and we, he shows us to more people right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no uh, <laughs> uh i think the season was awesome yeah. i think it was great uh we will be back for another season uh, in the spring? Yeah, we gotta, we're gonna have to, part of it know. is just scheduling out guests and making sure that we can get, yeah. make, we wanna, it's better to wait and do a good season than to rush a bad season. That's true. So, so you can email us and ask us when the next season's coming, but we might just say, I don't know. It's soon. 
You know, um, people people think that we don't plan any of this, and that we do no work to make this happen. Yeah, because it seems casual, but we actually put a lot of work into this. Yeah, I'm actually bicycling right now, right, on my way between meetings. Yeah. with different producers, but also so you're just, with you you're try, you're trying to get <laughs> that they were trying to make <laughs> trying to get some cardio into. Yeah, we're, we're multitasking right now. David's swimming. I don't yeah, even know how. It's, it's tough. It's tough. I've got waterproof uh, headphones, uh, little headset, so. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, Graham, this has been really fun. Thanks so much to everyone who's been listening. Thanks to all of our guests, th- all the things we just said. But this is re- we're we're really grateful to be able to do this, and that so many of you actually listen, <laughs> yeah. care about it. So, all right. Well, for Graham Pittman, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. <laughs>